It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. One of the topics here on the podcast that we have covered, I suppose, intermittently or with different people, we kind of dedicated part of an episode to what I'm going to discuss today, and we've sprinkled it out throughout some of the other ones. And that's the idea of ageism, but more specifically, how the ideas around age and aging and appearance and success coalesce into this very sticky, very dangerous and confusing stew of what we're supposed to be, accomplish, have, do at a specific age. And this has been coming up a lot in various forms, generally through videos, social media, memes, things like that. For some reason, the last three to four days, I've been getting sent a lot of versions of people re-examining their relationship to age and work and success. And I think it's really apropos as I've got a birthday coming up in uh, like a month and a half-ish. And for me, I just feel like there's a certain amount of reflection and reviewing my life whenever I get around a birthday. And it's interesting to be receiving these messages and these memes and these videos because before I share a particular video you sent me, Whitney, earlier today that this video got me very emotional and I'll talk about why it got me emotional. I have been strangely ruminating on memories that I haven't thought about in a long, long time, almost incessantly. And I don't think that I'm necessarily the kind of person, I, I don't view myself as a person who lives in the past. I don't generally spend a ton of time thinking about what I could have done, what I should have done, or reviewing my past failures or mistakes. I, I don't feel like normally I spend a lot of time sitting and thinking about those things. Yet, lately, I've been just really bombarded with almost like it's stuck in a loop with me where I'm reviewing old bands that I've been in, old recordings old projects, creative projects I haven't thought about in so long. And I notice that part of the theme in reviewing these, these old memories and these old creative projects and bands and all of these things from decades ago seems to be kind of imbued with this mix of reminiscing for old times and missing community and missing being with people and missing collaborating creatively. But there's another element too where... I feel kind of sad that certain things didn't work out in my life. And so this ageism is kind of tied into this in the sense that I don't know, I feel like I feel like I've been kind of in a very uncomfortable way of reviewing the things that didn't really go the way I wanted to in life. And that that really I think ties into the video you sent me earlier today. He's a an artist and a creator. I'd never heard of him until you sent him to me. His name is Kevin James Thornton, and you sent me a video he did on TikTok where he was talking about the burden of 
expectations that others have for us and the expectations we have for ourselves. And we will link to this TikTok video and Kevin James Thornton's account in uh, our show notes at wellevator.com. You can go to our website. It's our main hub for everything. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. We will have the show notes, the transcripts, anything we ever mention in terms of books, videos, continuing research for you, dear listener. And we also will have this available on YouTube if you're listening to it. And this video from Kevin Thornton, it hit me in a very particular way. And I think it hit me because he was talking about as an artist when he was approaching his 40s, how he had this point where he was living in his car. He didn't have any savings. He didn't have any health insurance. And he realized, and I'm paraphrasing, forgive me, Kevin, if you're listening, that he realized he had been creating in a way to try and get the approval of other people or to meet their expectations of him and and that he was contouring his art and what he was expressing to try and be popular and be liked and how he was compromising who he was to try and be successful as as an artist vis-a-vis getting the approval, the attention, the money of other people supporting his artwork. And so he's entering his forties. He's living in his car. He doesn't have money, health insurance, et cetera, as I said. And he said something in this video, Whitney, that was like, it just, it like hit me in such a deep way. Like he said he had become the man he feared to be. And I don't know why when he said that, like, and even like saying it, like it, um, I don't know why it makes me want to cry. I think that line in particular resonated because I think in many ways I feel the same. And I'm realizing now, you know, in my mid-40s that I think my expectations and the unspoken expectations of other people in my life have created this very nuanced trap, emotional trap that I feel like I've been in for a long time. And the emotional trap is I haven't become who I thought I would be. And many of the things I was afraid to become and the things that I was afraid to fail at, I failed that. And I, I think this is hitting me in such a way because i've been i've been beholden to certain expectations of who i thought i would be or what i thought i would be by my mid 40s and part of that i think is society's expectations or what society and culture tells us we should be but part of it is also something i think that kevin in this video was talking about how exhausted he felt when he got to his 40s that all these decades of work and creativity and creating art and you know here he is living in his car and i think part of it is is the exhaustion and feeling like you don't know how to move forward with your life when you feel that exhausted and i realize that part of my exhaustion is the years of expectation my own expectations of where i thought i was going to be the unspoken expectations of society my family my friends and also feeling like If I don't have certain things accomplished at a certain age, I don't have much value in society. I know from a logical perspective that doesn't make sense, but it doesn't mean I don't experience it emotionally. And so the point of this video and what you shared is he he, he was talking about sort of liberating himself from expectations. And in the practice of doing that, he felt he was creating some of the best art of his life. But I think that the challenging part of this conversation and how it relates to ageism and expectations is how do we let go of expectations? You know, I think it's one thing to say it. It's one thing to express it verbally. 
I have found personally, it's extremely challenging to do because every time I start to let go of an expectation, whether that's something that I co-opted from society or my family or my industry, or it's something maybe I formed on my own by observing the success of other people. We talk a lot about on this podcast, we have done in in different episodes, how awareness, self-awareness isn't the whole enchilada. It's just part of this puzzle of, I think, becoming more of who we are. The challenge, I think, is jumping from that awareness of, I have a ton of expectations. I think something should happen if I put in the work, the time, the effort, etc. By age 44, I should have this, should have that. We talked a lot about the danger of should with our friend Trisha Huffman. We'll link to that episode in the show notes at wellevator.com. But beyond awareness, it's difficult, I have found, to not have expectations, to jump into a new creative project, whether it's this podcast, whether it's the songwriting, whether whatever I find myself doing. I find myself stumbling over the expectation to make things great and please people and have them really enjoy what I'm doing creatively. Because the thing about this whole conversation, right, is I think as an artist, there's a fine line because you want to do things that are really authentic and really raw and true to who you perceive you are, right? Uh, Like I want to feel myself in the things I'm creating. But as an artist, to survive in the world, you do need the support of benefactors, whether that's Patreon, whether that's fundraising, whether that's people buying your music or your art. So it's a very tricky thing because to be supported by others with your art requires them to like it. So this is a very difficult thing, I think, to be self-motivated without an expectation, but also realizing that as artists, our livelihood is dependent to a degree on people liking what we do, buying our art, buying our records, supporting our podcast. So I I struggle with this on a daily basis, whether it's us recording this, whether it's me sitting down and being commissioned to write songs. Part of my resistance is I find it difficult not to focus on whether or not someone's going to like what I do. Because in a way, it still feels like my survival, my financial survival depends on that. Yet, if I try too hard to please other people and give them something they like to get that financial remuneration to survive... I feel like it's very easy for me to give up part of my authenticity in the process because I'm making something they're going to like. So I think I'm just in a particular mood today where I'm I'm examining this relationship and and going back to the ageism part with the music kind of coming back in my life where I've been writing these songs, these jingles for people. It's brought back a lot of painful memories for me of being in bands recording albums, trying to get a record deal, going on tour, and having none of that work out in my 20s and 30s. And here I am in my mid-40s having this sort of renewed relationship to my music music career, not knowing where it's heading, not knowing where it's going to go, but feeling a lot of pain by re-engaging my music career. And it's almost like I haven't How do I even say this? It's identifying that I haven't fully grieved what came before, like the old dreams, because I don't dream about getting a record deal again. I don't dream about touring the world and doing all this shit. And it's like, oh, is it because I'm in my mid 40s and that's what young artists do? Like I'm examining my own ageism. I'm examining my own limiting belief systems of, oh, that's not really something you do in your 40s. That's something you do in your 20s and 30s when you have the stamina and the energy for it. 
So strangely, I have this gratitude for these new musical projects and an excitement around it, but it's also brought up a lot of pain and a lot of me realizing I haven't fully let go or grieved the dreams of the past. And part of it is conditioning too. You know, I was hanging out with, this was months ago, but I was, I, I went in to see our mutual friend, El Marquis, who has this really great vintage store here in Los Angeles called Marquee Moon. If you happen to be in LA or passing through, it's a really great vintage store. You should go check it out. It's in Highland Park. And one of her friends was there and he's played guitar for like Shaka Khan and all these artists. Really cool guy. Really, really great guitar player. And we were talking about missing being in a band and missing the camaraderie of, you know, creating with people and being in a room and touring and all that stuff. And he made an offhand comment about, yeah, I'm too old to be in a band now. Like at a certain age, there's a cutoff date where he said something to the effect of like, yeah, that's just like, that's like, you know, something you do when you, you know, like when you're a young artist and not like, we're all old now. And so like it, it, he said, it's like, it looks bad when you're like an old guy in a band. And I just had this reaction of like, God, is that, is that true? Is that just his kind of opinion? Or is this something that a lot of people feel? I've been catching up with a lot of old old friends that I used to play music with in Detroit, old bandmates actually recently through Instagram. And I noticed that they're not really making, at least publicly making music or being in the bands we used to be in. And I wonder if this is a common sentiment, you know, for, for a musician or an artist to think like, oh, that's something you do when you're a young artist. You don't do that when you're older now because we've got like whatever responsibilities and mortgage payments and stuff like that. But I bring that up because I noticed that the ageism with being an artist is a very, very common thing. I have judgments against myself. I have judgments against other people. You know, but then I also think about Bob Dylan. But at the day of this recording, it's Bob Dylan's birthday, by the way. And I had the pleasure of listening to like uh, hours worth of Bob Dylan's music on the radio station yesterday. And like the dude's 80 and he's still touring. Like he doesn't give a shit. Bob Dylan doesn't care. So why do we care? It's a thing that I realize is a very painful thing for me, and I'm trying to get to my own resistances and my own judgments that I think are holding me back from expressing certain things. And I think at the core of this, it's confusing to me why we put, why we as humans put some sort of expiration date on success, like you're supposed to be successful by this age, or you may as well just give up. And like, I don't understand why we do that. Where does that even come from? So I, I'm exploring this and I'm asking these questions because I'm trying to give myself more space and freedom around this and have it not feel so heavy and sad. So the video that I, I've been watching from this guy, Kevin, it's it's been giving me a lot of pause for the last few hours. And I've been just examining a lot of my emotions around expectations and failure and success. And uh, I don't want to be so hard on myself and I want to kind of let myself off the hook of thinking that I ought to have done something by this age because I do like making music and I do like creating and I don't want to give that up because that's something you do when you're young, whatever the fuck that means. And I feel it's also coming up around investing. We've talked a little bit on the podcast, Whitney, about you know, you've been exploring investing and I actually, through your encouragement, have finally started to do it. And I'm going to be investing in some things this week. That's a side note to this conversation. But that's also a part of the ageism with that conversation too. It was like, you're too old. 
You should have been doing this in your 20s. You should have been doing this when, when you're 30. So the compound interest could accrue and you would have had so much more money now. And forgiving myself for not doing it in my 20s and 30s and now only really getting into investing when I'm in my mid 40s, right? And, it's fucking exhausting. It's fucking exhausting to judge ourselves based on our age. And it's fucking exhausting to think it's too late. Like to me, that's one of the most damaging parts of this conversation is whenever I have a version of that thought, it's too late. Why bother? And I'm really being mindful of not believing that thought because I think that's one of the most destructive thoughts we can have as human beings is it's too late. I'm too old. Why bother? And man, that that is a sticky, sticky thought that has so many tentacles to it. I think about these things too, because it ties into a lot of different messages that are perpetuated, kind of similar to racism. Like the more I examine racism, the more I see it in very subtle ways, you know, and, and it's people can say on the surface, they can verbally say, I'm not racist, but if they examine their lives and their behavior, they and we, myself included, being a white person, have likely participated in it, perhaps without even knowing. And so I think a lot of this, Jason, is perpetuated. And if somebody is ignorant, then they'll continue participating in it. Like, and it's, it's very similar to beauty culture as a whole. And I think it's just really, really hard to step away from it because it's so common. It's so embedded in us. You know, I examine beauty culture a lot and I'm especially fascinated with Gen Z right now, given their age range, which in 2021 is between nine years old and 24 years old which is really fascinating, actually. The more I, I sat with the, that age range, the more I felt like, wow, that's, that's a very intense time period of our lives and when our brains are developing and our ho- hormones are changing. I mean, so much goes on between the years of 9 and 24, and it's heavy. And I, I also, now knowing those numbers, recognize that there's a lot of millennials that are similar to Gen Zs. You know, if you're 25, I think you're technically a millennial in 2021, but like they kind of act a lot like the the Gen Zs do and because of the, the blurred lines with generations. And I bring that up because I see in that those are, you know, it's kind of like our future in a lot of ways. Because those people start to have more and more influence. And they have a lot of influence right now through the media, through social media, through advertisements, you know, which often hire young people. So young people are are hired to model, they're hired to act, they're hired, they're listened to, they're savvy about social media. Like they they generally have a lot of influence. And so paying attention to them is really important. And I see Jason like a And this may be true of any generation, but I don't really remember this as a millennial being a huge deal, likely because of social media's ability to amplify. It just feels like there's so much focus on age with Gen Z. And millennials right now seem to be focused, myself included, I think because millennials are between the ages of 25 to 40. And 
there's obviously a lot of identity crisis that happens during those years and fears around getting older. But then I also wonder, is that feeling more intense because millennials are hearing Gen Z bring up age so much and and call millennials old and boomers are like, oh, so old. And, And for you being Gen X, Jason, it's like, I feel like Gen X doesn't get brought up quite as much as either like commentary on boomers and millennials and somehow Gen X skips over it. Maybe maybe people don't even realize there's a Gen X, the, the Gen Zs don't realize and they just blur them all together. But my point being, again, there's a lot of this like tension and calling out boomers and calling out millennials and ta- you know talking about the differences as I'm doing right now. But it just seems to have a lot of weight to it. Like they're clinging to their youth out of a lot of this fear. And I wonder if this fear has just been passed down so much. You know, I remember my mom passing down a lot of fears inadvertently because she's concerned with her own age and has been for as long as I can remember. So there is an energy around that that I pick up on. And it's been more recent that I've been reflecting a lot, mainly, I think, because of social media. And and Jason, I have to step away from social media so often and just like ask myself, is this true? Is this true what I'm feeling? Or is this just this underlying current of energy that people are passing around to each other? But the reason that the generations are important, because I feel like the you know, older generations that are raising or influencing the younger generations, they're passing on these messaging, just like beauty culture messaging that we get passed on from celebrities and influencers. And you see this over and over again, and and you feel like you're aspiring to be it. And so there's that, that draw to these things. And if we don't stop to examine why they're happening, then we become so persuaded by it, Jason. And I think That's what I'm trying to do when I notice myself getting triggered. I find comfort in doing some research to better understand it, just like I'm doing so much research to better understand racism, for example. It's not really driven by comfort because racism is a very uncomfortable conversation. It's driven by the desire to change. And I feel the same way about ageism and beauty culture and capitalism, hustle culture, all of or grind culture is a term I was hearing earlier today and just noticing like how this is affecting people. And this all, same topic, Jason, which really ties into ageism in some ways, but also ties into a big struggle that that I think younger generations, millennials, I've noticed have been focusing a lot on kids. And it seems energetically through social media, especially TikTok, where Gen Z and, and younger millennials are very, very vocal and have a very strong presence. Like they're talking a lot about not wanting to have kids. And I've been fascinated by that because I'm in this stage of my life exploring it and, you know, wondering if, you know, I would be able to have kids if I wanted to, like as, as the clock ticks, which is another part of ageism, especially as a woman. But just hearing these perspectives and having children and one that really struck me on TikTok this week, which I can link to, is a number of people talking about how right now with abortion laws being a big focus in our government, how some people believe that the reason the government wants to try to control women's choice 
is rooted in in capitalism and even rooted in things like racism and slavery because there might be a correlation and this is all speculation. I've been trying to do some research on it. I don't know if you know I'll ever really get an answer, but it is something interesting to think about. If you're being forced to have a child that you don't want, is that because you're adding another person into the world to ins- for population to ensure there's always workers? And I think this question is coming up a lot because a, you know, some of the data I've been hearing, and again, this is just all a lot of ignorance from on my part, so don't take any of this as fact. But the speculation is that a lot of the abortion laws are more strict in Southern cultures where there tends to be more challenges with money and race. And thus, I guess what I'm picking up from that is like they're, they want to ensure that poor people and non-white people continue to have children because those people will likely go into the roles of the workforce where they can work minimum wage just to get by. And if those people aren't around, then how are, where are they going to find these employees? And it's something interesting to reflect on. Right. And I, I think statistically that there's, I've, I have heard in the past of a difference in like education and the, the rates of, having an unwanted child are less in people that are educated and that have money and that the rates are higher in unwanted pregnancies for people that don't have a lot of money or are not white. And I want to go look up all this data, but it's just got me wondered, like, is there some manipulation happening here in order to keep our system going? And I think it ties into a lot of this, Jason. It's like, just this overall perspective from from people that are kind of waking up and social media giving us a lot of opportunities to examine these things. And I think that's that's one of the the most important things that we're seeing happen is people are speaking out very openly, especially Gen Z are really being vocal about these things and their human rights. And I think that they're maybe afraid of getting older because the older generations have passed down a lot of fear, like, oh, you better have kids before you get too old. You know, is that just another way of manipulating people to have kids and rush the decision? I don't know. I mean, I think about that a lot, too. Like, what's the rush to get married? What's the rush to get kids? I don't even know if I want to have kids. Why do I just like pick some person to get married to? You know what I mean? Like a lot of that pressure, I think, feeds into it. Because there's a lot of money to be made in childbirth, first of all. Like I was another thing I've seen a number of times on TikTok recently is people talking about how expensive it is just to give birth, let alone to raise a child, which we've also talked about on this show. The big differences in different generations in terms of how much money people make and gen- the generations are making less and less money compared to the older generations, Jason. So I think that's another big struggle with getting older is it's like a lot of people are collectively suffering and things are very unbalanced financially. And when you feel financially insecure, do you really want to have kids? But at the same time, I think part of the money shifts are happening is because younger generations are waking up and saying, I'm not willing to slave away just to make money. I'm not willing to grind and make all this money for what? Like one of the videos I saw today 
this woman was like, I'm done with, with grind culture. Why do I want to work all these hours just to make money to buy things I don't really need and be unhappy? So we have so much capitalistic like drive around. And I think it's, it's causing so much confusion, Jason. So I think coupled with like the emotions you're having, you're also in a time, even though you're, you're Gen X, you're still heavily influenced by millennials and Gen Zs who are having these conversations and asking all these questions. Like why is the big question over and over again? And I bet based on the things that you've said, Jason, like a lot of your notions are coming from the older generations that are pressuring you to be the things that you you haven't been or aren't yet or you know maybe you don't even want those things that you've thought all this time so that ties into the people pleasing too because like it's just like you start to lose your sense of identity so you've got pressure to be a certain type of person by a certain age and if you're not that you feel like you failed but then if you examine that failure you can think do I even want to be this person that society is pressured and who's been pressuring me all along? And I think that there's been so much influence in our society from all this pressure that it's, it's slowly withering away, but people's identities are so shook right now <laughs> that people have left, lost their sense of identity or, or don't even know what it is because our culture is so confused based on all these different generational reactions. And, at the same time, it's still being perpetuated, just like I feel like racism is. We have a lot of people aware that racism is a problem, but we still have enough people that are ignorant and we have enough people that are perpetuating racism because it benefits them in some way, just like ageism benefits some people and beauty cu culture benefits some people. So while we know how hurtful those things can be, we have to like do so much inner work in order to start to contribute to the outer work and recognize it's all taking a long time. And simultaneously, we're trying to figure out who we are as individuals. And that's I, no wonder it's so confusing, all of these things, Jason. It's like, at the end of the day, it all comes down to just wanting to be happy. But sometimes it feels really hard to be ha happy when you're getting all these mixed messages from society. And for someone like you, Jason, like, I mean... Similar to what his name's Kevin on TikTok, right? I think that you guys might be similar ages. And I bet if you're, or at least in the same generations, you're probably bearing the brunt of it because you're in your 40s and you've probably spent the great majority of your life with all of this messaging that if you want to be successful, you have to be XYZ or do XYZ. And if you don't do those, then you're not successful. So you've spent so much time and I really feel like Jason, it's only been the past like few years that you, Jason Robel have woken up to, it's like, cause I've seen that shift within you just in the last few years. I feel like you woke up and you're like, I don't even think I want any of this shit that I've been working so hard for. And I think that's part of where we're at as a society right now, because a lot of people are having those same realizations but the problem is there's still pressure in the air and we're in a transition. So it's going to feel really awkward and messy. Most days I feel like I don't even know what the hell I'm doing really. And I think sometimes that feels liberating and there feels a lot of like a lot of space and freedom around not knowing what the hell I'm doing or where, where any of this is leading. 
But other days it feels terrifying because I am slowly unwinding the programming and the wiring of all of this has to lead to something. I mean, it's the same kind of formula, I think, that society dictates, but sort of a mutated version. Because I think, you know, what does society dictate? It's you graduate college or you graduate high school, you go to four years of college, maybe you go on and get a master's, who knows? But, you know, you meet your person, you fall in love, you get married, have 2.5 kids, have the cat, the dog, you know, sort of the, the old American dream that's way left, the nuclear family dream that's left over from the 50s, right? Like 70 years ago. That trope, that archetype is still being parroted over and over as if that that's the life we want as Americans and that's what's going to make us happy, right? But I think also as entrepreneurs or as artists, there's also this formula, right? Of, you know, I don't even know what the hell the formula would even be. Like, you know, put your stuff out there, get a bunch of social media followers. Maybe you'll get a book deal. Maybe you'll get a record deal. Maybe you'll get huge online and and go viral. We've talked a lot about the versions of this, but I think the thing that I'm working on right now is who am I and what kind of life do I want if I'm not in this mode of thinking that everything has to build on itself and ultimately lead to something? Because I think in in some ways, that's that's sort of the archetype, right? Is you put all these years in grinding, working, hustling, burning yourself to the bone because it's going to result in what? Fame, money, success. And it's difficult because we are bombarded with people who give us that messaging. Ah, you know, I just, I worked for all this time and then it, you know, then it was all worth it because I got successful. All those years of struggle were worth it. Well, what if you struggle all those years and you don't get the proverbial pot of gold at the end of the fucking rainbow? Because newsflash, most people don't. Most people don't get the fame. Most people don't get the money. Most people don't get the quote, material success, even though they might have 10, 15, 20 years of work behind them, right? But it's the promise of you could make it too. And I think I'm starting to recalibrate what do I want in life? What feels fulfilling? What feels joyful? How do I want to express myself? I mean, these are all, these are all like questions I'm sitting with. And also why, you know, why, why is this matter? There, there's, um, I'm going to see if I took a screenshot of it the other day. I don't know that I did. Okay. So I, I told you at the beginning of this, this podcast that I've been getting kind of bombarded with interesting messages around age and success and creativity. There's a writer, her name is C.L. Polk, and she posted something on Twitter a couple days ago. And the, the tweet says, I see that we're stressing out over the idea that if you don't debut by a certain age, you're doomed. Loves, I signed with my agent on my 47th birthday. I won the World Fantasy Award for that novel when I was 50 years old. Here's the, here's the thing that got me and that I've really been meditating on. The only thing that art asks of you is to do it. Like, that's very profound to me. The only thing that art asks of you is to do it. And I think this is a really healthy perspective. That whole tweet is a very healthy perspective. A, because she's reminding us that the door on creativity, the door on opportunity just doesn't close at some age. Like, yeah, you had your shot, buddy, you're done. Like, we that doesn't happen. But B, that inspiration or creativity or art or passion doesn't give a shit about your age. 
you know, you can have an amazing idea at five years old. You can have an amazing idea at 55 years old. <laughs> you know, so that, that particular phrase that CL Polk shared was profound to me. The only thing that art asks of you is to do it. And so I say that because there's been so many times I've stopped myself because of the why bother, right? Like I mentioned a few minutes, like why bother? Who gives a shit? No one's going to care. You're too old for this. Who fucking cares? But realizing that when I have these ideas that come up at two in the morning, three in the morning, or I take a nap and some idea comes and I race to my phone to record it, wherever ideas come from, like that's a whole nother tangent. We, like, do we even know where thoughts come from? Do we know where ideas come from? We don't, you know, is it God? Is it the unified field? Is there some grand con, you know, field of consciousness that just dumps ideas on us? Elizabeth Gilbert explored this in her book, Big Magic, which we've referenced in previous episodes, which is great. It, you know, her idea around this is thought forms and ideas and creative inspiration will just go around tapping people on the shoulder until someone pays attention and actually wants to birth that idea into the world. Like her perspective on creativity is it's not, it's not like a personal thing. Like that's Whitney's idea. That's Jason's idea. It's just an idea. The question is, you know, whether Whitney, Jason, the listener, whomever wants to actually take that idea and run with it and materialize it into the world in some form. Right. So I, I think that's a really healthy perspective is, is art, creativity, ideas doesn't give a shit about age. It doesn't care about your perception of your, your ability or disability. Thoughts, ideas, creative inspiration, passion can come at any time at any age. And I think it's so important to remember that. And I'm saying it out loud on this podcast because I'm saying it to myself of if you believe in God, unified field theory, universal consciousness, spirit, whatever you believe in, I think it's kind of comforting to know that if we do our best to keep ourselves open to it, there's really no end to creativity, inspiration, or passion. Like, you know, these, these new things can come to us. It doesn't matter what age we're at. So I actually want to kind of put that out and print it out or write it out and put it in my office of like, maybe my only job with is not to manage the success of something I create or try and force it to be successful or manipulate people to like it, right? Maybe my only job, maybe it's simple. Maybe the, maybe the simplicity, and I'm not saying it's easy. When I say it's simple, I'm not saying it's easy, is to just be a good shepherd for the ideas that want to come through, right? Like maybe that's it. It's, okay, is this an idea I want to help shepherd into reality? Yes or no? Yes. Then how can I get the hell out of my own way and be a good channel or be a good shepherd for that idea? Not try and manipulate the outcome, make it be something, force it to be a bestseller. That takes a lot of, it takes a lot of courage to do that though, I think, because the pressure to make it successful, the pressure to have people like it. But ultimately, isn't that out of our hands? I mean, to some degree, like I release a book or a record and I spend, you know, $20,000 buying Instagram ads and TikTok ads and Facebook ads. I mean, certainly people try and force the thing they create to be successful. This is not a new thing. People put a ton of money trying to, you know, we've talked about in previous episodes, different authors paying people to go to bookstores and buy their books so they can be on the bestseller list. So we know that people are forcing their creative thing to be a success. They do it all the time. But that feels gross to me. 
And I don't know if the right word is earning success. That also feels like maybe not the right thing. But when we are manipulating the system so that we can be successful, that feels icky. That feels then like like life didn't decide, we forced it to be successful. And I don't want to approach it that way either. You know, I just want to create things and release them and like let them do what they're going to do. Because the alternative is way too much pressure. The, the alternative of trying to make it be something or spending tens of thousands of dollars to, to force it. I mean, you could do that with albums too. Like go download my record. I'll pay you $20 to do it. I mean, all you have to do is have enough money and you can, you can force the thing to be successful in the world. I don't find that to be something I want to do. And I don't know that's a necessarily an ethical thing. So I think what I want to do, Whitney, moving forward is just try to like stop forcing things in my life, which is very difficult to do because my my sense of safety is still tied to the idea that if people like me, I'll feel safe. It's still that old tribal thing of if I'm liked and I'm approved of and people love what I'm contributing to the group, I'll be too valuable to dispose of. So I, I have this old like ancient wiring that I'm still dealing with of Maybe you're worthy of love and maybe you're worthy of acceptance and you don't have to force it on people. Like, hey, I'm worthy. I'm worthy. Look what I created. Like to me, that's almost like, and I'm saying like almost like an adolescent or infantile response of like, love me, love me, love me, love me. I'm worthy mom and dad. Right. So when I say it's simple, again, it's not easy for my, for me. It's like, yeah, just be a good shepherd for the creativity and let it come through. But the difficult part is all of the yeah, but you need to be loved and you need to be worthy of affection. You need to be worthy of attention. It's hard as an artist. Like, ch- I'm not asking for sympathy when I say this, but you know, choosing to be an artist in the world, it's a tough road. It's a tough road because of all these factors. But I'm not sure that you really have a choice. I think people choose not to be artists, meaning... Well, let me put it this way. Artists will choose not to be artists because of everything that you're describing. But one of the things that's a huge part of this conversation, Jason, is is I feel like many people are trying to force themselves into a mold that they don't actually fit in. And that can come in the shape of, I really want to do this, but I'm afraid. So let me mold myself into something that I'm not actually. Or people are telling me that I can't do it. So I'm going to believe them. I mean, it's ultimately all rooted in fear. And there's so many cliche stories about people that really wanted to do something but didn't because they didn't think it was going to work out for them or they tried and it didn't work out for them. I mean, over and over again, you hear that people that move to Los Angeles and then give up and leave. And you know, It's not going to work out for everybody, at least in the form that the majority wants. And I think that's part of this, too. It's it's not to say that just because you want something or you have a purpose that it's going to be an easy road and that you're going to get it in the same form or timeline as somebody else. And this idea of forcing it, Jason, or manipulating or cheating, things that we talk about a lot – I think a lot of people have found ways to make it work for them. But my perspective, Jason, and this could just be rooted in my belief system, so it it could be very biased, like confirmation bias. But I have witnessed 
enough people that have cheated or manipulated things in some way to get what they wanted, but it didn't last and they didn't necessarily seem any happier. They're just chasing constantly. And then that you get stuck in that cycle of constantly having to fake it because we have that mentality of fake it till you make it. But if there's no foundation behind what you've made, like how it's not like the faking ever ends. It's not until it's like you're faking it and making it. But I don't think it's like, oh, once I've made it, I can stop. I don't think it's that easy. You know, it, again, it it goes back to beauty culture. Like I think one of the big reasons that I'm fascinated by beauty culture is like I know and I've known most of my life I don't like doing myself up. I don't like all the maintenance that um, women and, and people who identify as women go through. I think some people really enjoy it. You know, like I think some people find deep joy in doing their makeup and their hair and buying clothes, their nails and working out and all of this maintenance. It just doesn't resonate with me. In fact, it's been too stressful. And this might seem like a weird comparison, and I don't mean it to be offensive, but I was watching Elliot Page, his interview with Oprah talking about his transition and how free he felt as a man. And he got the um, the breast surgery and he was so excited to be able to wear clothes, you know, not have to wear a shirt and just like how incredibly overwhelming it was for him to dress up as a woman and, and feed into all of that. And there's like part of me, even though I do identify as a woman and I, that's how I was born too. I also kind of identify with that feeling of like almost like feeling suffocated by all the beauty pressure my whole life. And that was me trying to force myself into a box when like I don't really want to wear makeup, but I would wear makeup to try to fit in and please others. And now I feel more free not wearing makeup most times. I'll wear it sometimes and I wear it when I feel like I want to wear it. I'm not anti-makeup, but I still feel uncomfortable not wearing makeup because kind of like what you're saying, Jason, it's like I just see it's like the norm and doing my hair or wearing certain clothes. Like a lot of these things, I'm just like, it's so I think maybe this is even why I have so much social anxiety. Like what if I'm not even introverted, but what if I've just had all this anxiety about being in public because I don't feel like I fit in in the way that I really want to be, you know, like that's something for me to examine once things start to shift and open up again. Like I'll have to really observe what it's like to socialize. And is that, is it because I feel like I have to put on a mask that I don't want to wear, you know? And there's like a fear of being seen, like it's the fear of, you know, when we talk about age, like, you know, you're talking a lot about the career side of it, Jason, but the the physical side of it is so huge. I, I That's where I feel my pressure. I don't feel a ton of career-related pressure right now. I feel a little biological pressure, like I said. I feel undecided, unsure about having children, and there's only so long that I can contemplate it. 
but I also am not going to let that biological thing force me to do something. So if, if I never feel ready to have kids, I probably just won't have kids. Like, I don't think I'll make the decision to have a child just because I'm afraid that I'll want it in the future. That to me doesn't feel right, at least not right now. You know, like, and I also recognize, speaking of which, speaking of children, just as a side note, one thing I think so much about, Jason, is that having a child almost feels selfish in that, like, you're doing it as an adult because you either you feel the pressure to or you feel like it's going to bring you joy or satisfaction, but you're bringing another human being into the world, so it's like kind of a weird concept for me. And and again, this this might seem extreme, but this is just something I think about sometimes. I'm like, why would I have a child because I feel pressure from other people? Having a child is raising another human being, which is supposed to be selfless. But if I'm making that decision because either I feel pressure to or I'm trying to do that to feel satisfied in life... That just seems so strange because it's not about the child. You know what I mean? Like parenting is is fascinating to me psychologically, but that's a whole nother story. I have a lot to dig through with that. I, so going back, Jason, it's like, I don't, I don't know if I feel a lot of like career pressure or financial pressure that you're describing, but, you know, obviously we're different people in different stages with different, you know, situations, but but I feel a lot of the ageism in like being a woman and I feel that in, you know, just, just the overall pressure to try to form myself into something and how do I show up even today, the, another observation on TikTok on today on, on May 24th, 2021, there was a lot of people posting, I think it was yesterday that Lady Gaga went into West Hollywood in Los Angeles area. And uh, she's celebrating, I think like the 10 year anniversary of one of her albums. And it's, you know, we're coming up on pride month and there was like kind of the mutual, the combined uh, celebration. And so many people were commenting on how she didn't look like herself and she wasn't acting like herself. And I noticed it too, but I also thought like, she's probably not the same person that you Remember her being like we went through a pandemic. This is the first like really big public event that she's done of that type. And who knows what's going on with her. But like all this commentary. ooh, she's not. She doesn't. People literally didn't think it was her, Jason. They thought it was like her stunt double. They thought it was like someone dressing up to pretend to be her. They thought like there's just so many weird comments around it. And we just don't have any context for why she looks or is behaving the way that she was like, but so many people want to comment on that stuff. And it it ties into this too, Jason of like, there's so much pressure to be who people think you should be or who, who people think you are. And that messaging is perpetuated. And this goes back to what I was saying in the beginning, we have to shift into more awareness about this because by commenting that way, we reinforce it. And I think that's one of the biggest opportunities that Gen Z has right now. I've noticed they're commenting on other people about the same thing that they're personally verbalizing that they're struggling with. So they talk about body acceptance, 
but so many Gen Z people online comment about other people's bodies poorly and their appearances. Now, it might not be the exact same people, but I'm saying culturally, there's like this weird thing that I notice, and certainly other culture, other uh, generations do this too, but I just notice it so much on platforms like TikTok. It's like, this is supposed to be a woke, radically empowered generation who are done with the bullshit and speaking out against it and all that, you know, being more accepting and less judgmental and all this stuff. And it's like, but you're commenting on a celebrity because she doesn't look the way that you think she's supposed to look. You're making fun of people constantly. You're canceling people left and right. Like there's still so many contradictions that I see online coming from mostly people in that age range. And I just think, they're not aware enough to even recognize the conflict that's happening there. And I think it's because it just takes so much work, Jason, to like recognize these things and wake up from them and make a shift. And if you and I are struggling it as like, you know, more, well, biologically mature people with more experience historically, I think, of course, the younger generations are going to struggle with it because they can feel all of this, too, and they feel conflicted by all of this. And that's why I'm saying it's like a big identity crisis. You spoke to one of the things that I have experienced a lot and also one of the things that I'm, what's the right word, potentially concerned about in going to events and gatherings and things like that. And and what you said was, you know, you don't seem like yourself. You're not acting like yourself. These kind of comments. First of all, there's no room for a person's evolution or personal transformation or growth when you think they ought to be a certain way. This is a difficult thing, right? Especially for public facing people, public figures, celebrities, etc. But I've even experienced this many times in my life when I would be, say, at a public event and someone's like, are you okay? Is everything cool? Like, are you good? Why would you ask that? Well, you you know, and the, the phrase would be like, well, you're normally so energetic and bright and bubbly and funny. And, and I sort of, by my own doing through videos and speaking appearance and, st- and stuff like that, and you know this, like created this persona of like, Jason's the wacky guy and he's the funny guy and he's the guy who's going to be zany on stage and tell jokes and entertain everyone. And if I'm not in that mood... People have commented many times over the years, like, is everything okay? Is something wrong? It's like, yeah, I don't feel like being the fucking funny, entertaining guy right now. I just, maybe I'm tired. Maybe I'm sad. Maybe I'm mourning something. You don't know. But it, it's it's such a, it's a subtle thing. And then sometimes not so subtle in terms of Lady Gaga, where it's like, oh, she's not herself. It's like, why do you expect a person to be one note the whole time? oh, you're supposed to be upbeat and fun and energized and like, we came here and you're supposed to entertain us. It's like, no, how boring would life be if it's like, oh, you know, we're just going to play like a C the whole time. We're just going to like hang on. But we love when you play that song with one chord. Well, I don't want to play the fucking song with one chord. Okay? I know you like it. I'm glad you like it, but I'm not one fucking chord. And so in my own way, that drives me bananas. And I'm a little concerned, like, you know, there's all these events now, like 
Expo East is purportedly happening in September. I just got an email today that Seed Food and Wine Festival that I've spoken at four times is coming back in November. And it kind of gives me this anxiety. And part of the anxiety is what you said, Whitney, is like, I might not be like cheerful, happy, bubbly, excited. I might be freaked out to be around that many people. And I'm, you know, if I go to any of these things or none of them, I mean, at some point I'm going to be around large groups of people again. My aim, wit, is to be just as real as I can be. And if people are like, oh, you, yeah, you're not, you're not the Jason we remember. I'm like, because I'm not. Because I've been through what I've been through. And I'm probably not going to be Mr. Entertainment, Mr. Whatever you think I'm going to be. You know, like my whole point, wit, is like, I want to show up as I am. And like people will judge or evaluate how they evaluate. And that's not under my control. And it also brings up what what you were talking about with the beauty culture standards and the things you've been facing and, and looking at inside of yourself. You know, when I do think about business meetings, trade shows, things like that, what's wrong if I show up in my, you know, 20 year old tank top and my board shorts, you know, well, it's this idea of like, oh, no one's going to, you know, my inner dialogue is you're not professional enough, Jason, and no one's going to want to do business with you if you show up with your hair messed up and your tank top and your board shorts, because you're supposed to show up to these shows, you know, to make connections and impress people. And they're going to look at your badge and they're going to, and we know, because when we go to these kind of business events, people will literally look you up and down. Like you can see their eyes like scanning you. But I'm kind of at the point where it's like, I'm going to show up how I show up. And if you don't want to do business with me, you don't want to fucking do business with me. Like, it's a difficult thing, though, because, again, we've been conditioned of like, you know, Whitney, wear the right clothes and wear the right makeup and show up and be polished. That's the word, like show up and be polished and have your elevator pitch ready. And there's a part of me, Wit, like, I don't want to do that shit anymore. And it's, it's going against all these years of conditioning of when you're in a professional setting, you need to show up this way. And I don't know. I, I wonder what it's going to be like, you know, of dealing with the pressure of like, yeah, you know, wear the right shirt and wear, wear the right connections and have the right thing on your badge. And I'm curious, like, because I know, I know you, you are definitely planning on going to Expo East. I'm actually on the fence right now. How do you think you want to show up for things like this? specifically do you think you're going to be like here i am you know what fuck it no makeup i'm showing up exactly as i want to or do you feel like do you feel a pressure to like show up a certain way because we haven't seen these these people we know and our connections and our colleagues in so long like how are you feeling about doing public facing events given everything we've talked about today i don't fully know yet and i i think i'll i'm just gonna deal with it when it comes like i'm just it doesn't really serve me to figure it out yet I'm actually supposed to go to an event in LA about a month from today, just a small one with one of my clients and that'll be interesting. And then the next one is an event that I'm supposed to speak at in July. And then I think the next one will be the events that you're talking about, Jason Fancy Food Show and Natural Products Expo. And I get excited, like just saying those words excites me. And part of me is like, ooh, maybe it'll be nice because it'll be more acceptable to be distant and introverted. And, you know, but then again, a few months from now, I'm not quite sure. I wonder what the rules will be like. Will you have to wear a mask to those events? I'm not quite sure if you will. I'll be fully vaccinated, although 
the news on like what that'll mean changes so often. Like, I don't even know. I, I basically, you, you can't even know anything right now with COVID because the rules are changing sometimes by the day, by the week. So I have no idea what those situations will feel like. And I've been coming more and more comfortable. I'm very comfortable online, not wearing makeup. And we'll see if I want to wear it to these events. It'll If it'll cause me to feel more confident. You know, I, I was looking at my shoes the other day and I've been going through stuff and deciding what to keep and what to let go of and clothes and all that stuff. And I was like, hmm, I wonder when I'll wear these high heels again or anything with heels. You know, right now I don't go out that much, but I'll wear sneakers or flip flops like pretty much everywhere. Like I haven't worn any of my heels in so long and certain clothes I wonder about. And I've like kept certain things just, you know, that I know I'll feel good in like kind of my event clothes and all that stuff. But I guess I'm, I'm really not sure Jason and that's okay. I think the good news is that we're all figuring this stuff out. And most of, I think our challenges are based in judgments. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying about what I've observed in the comments from, from Gen Z users is it's odd because they will verbalize what they're struggling with and yet collectively tear people up for the same things that they verbalize they're struggling with. And I, I, I think actually that's an important thing to take note of. We tend to notice things in other people that we don't like about ourselves And I think if we keep that in mind, Jason, that is actually very comforting. And know, too, most importantly, that most of these things are just human constructs. And unless it's illegal to do something or not to do something, like, just do it however you want to do it. No one's saying that you have to be a certain age to achieve something. And certainly... Well, when I say no one, I'm saying like maybe executives won't hire you, but that doesn't mean another company wouldn't. That doesn't mean that you can't go create it yourself. And I think that's the other reason why we see so many people wanting to be content creators. People want to be able to make their own content. They want to sing. They want to perform. They want to make videos. They want to act. You know, you can do that all on your own. I think that's why we see more and more podcasters like podcasting is really satisfying. It's like having our own radio talk show and we get to do this mostly on our own. We do have some team members that support us, but my point being Jason, like we're fortunate in that we live in a time where we can rebel against some of these standards and we can always mentally rebel against them. So as I, for example, like the gray hair stuff is is something I actually don't think about that much, but every and it's because I don't really look in the mirror and I don't really do much with my hair. My hair is almost always up in a bun these days. I'm sure when I start going to events again, Jason, like it'll be interesting when I'm paying more close attention, I'm going to notice my gray hair again. I don't have that much of it. You can see on YouTube, like I don't think anyone can tell right now, but I can tell when I have the gray hairs, which are mixed in and I might feel insecure about it, but then I have to just remind myself there is absolutely no real reason to feel insecure about it. 
And if somebody else chooses to dye their hair, more power to them. But if I choose not to dye my hair, more power to me. And part of the reason that I'm pushing myself not to dye my hair is because I want to be a role model for other people that deep down don't want to dye their hair either. And I feel that way about makeup. There aren't enough women that proudly go through the world without makeup. And I would like to be that person or one of those people to exemplify that. And if just like you're saying, Jason, if, if I'm going to go into a meeting and someone thinks less of me because of my the color of my hair or the lack of makeup or whatever I'm wearing, that's not somebody that's ultimately going to align with me. And if I don't actually need them, then there's no reason to abide by their standards or let their viewpoints on me shift how I feel about myself. Now, certainly there will be times when it will be more important to abide by their standards. And we each have to weigh that out. We have to figure out where we feel comfortable and confident at this time, even if we want to be different, you know, it's a fluid thing. And I think that's what I'm recognizing too, Jason. it's like, if you see me wearing makeup, it's not like, oh, Whitney's gone back to wearing makeup permanently. No, just like you were saying, I felt like wearing makeup that day for that occurrence. Sometimes I, f- I feel better wearing it, you know, that's just what's going on in that time. And I won't know that until I'm put back in those situations. My reflection on this is I'm so used to being physically comfortable in a certain way. You know, as I mentioned, wearing really comfortable shorts and tank tops. And I think I've worn pants a total of like four times in the last 14 months. And I just think it's going to be interesting to gauge people's level of caring about their appearance and their presentation as the world opens back up. It's an interesting value metric because I think in some ways we still have this deep attachment to how people perceive us. It goes back to kind of the beginning of this conversation is whether it's artwork, whether it's fashion, whether it's makeup, it's how we're presenting in the world. We're doing it in ways of, I think, wanting to be accepted right? I mean, there's radical self-expression. And then there's also like, oh, on a subtle level, whether we're conscious of it or not, I'm going to dress, be, act, do, and present in a way because that's what's acceptable. And I say that because I I went through my entire wardrobe recently. And I mentioned this previously, but I'm donating like 30 to 40% of my wardrobe because it's not comfortable anymore. Like I realized I was wearing stuff, Whitney, because I, I was like, oh, this is fashionable or this says something about me or this is presenting my personality in a certain way. But I wear the stuff and I try I literally try it on my entire wardrobe. And I was thinking this this shit is not comfortable. Like this literally does not feel good on my body. So moving forward, I kind of want to I might just show up to these trade shows in like a kimono and just say, fuck it. I'm wearing a kimono in public. I don't care. No, real. Like I'm being honest. Like I want to prioritize comfort in my life, and you know, and that also makes me feel what I'm, you know, I'm judging myself. It also makes me quote feel old because I remember you know older people in my family being like being a kid and like judging them for their shoes. You know, being like, ah, why are you wearing those like gray dumpy New Balance? And being like, because they're comfortable. And now I'm like, oh, I get it. I get it because comfort. 
ironically, we host this podcast, this might get uncomfortable, but I'm realizing, Whitney, that like with my fashion choices, I want to be fucking comfy, man. I want to be comfy. And it's probably because I've spent 14 years, 14 years, for the last 14 months, mostly in tank tops and shorts, and I ain't mad about it. That being said, I have a product shout out that I want to talk about, which is a bit funny because we're talking about beauty standards and appearance and I have made it no secret. I've made it an open discussion about my concern about my hair loss and aging. I've talked about this in previous episodes. I actually was researching and talking to my hairstylist, Brandon. By the way, shout out to Brandon Balderrama at Liberated Salon in LA, eco-conscious, totally vegan salon. You actually introduced me to Brandon years ago, so I've been seeing him for like almost a decade now. Anyway, he's like, dude, you got to take biotin. I was like, what's bio? Okay, biotin. So he turned me onto this supplement and I wanted to talk about it. It's um, it's from a company called Blue Bonnet. And this is something I've been taking for like three months. This is their hair, skin, and nails formula. And here's what's in it. It's got vitamin A, vitamin C, biotin, zinc, vegan. These are plant-based collagen peptides, MSM, keratin, glutathione, resveratrol, and CoQ10. And apparently, this blend of collagen peptides, keratin, biotin, form the building blocks to protect, grow, and nourish your hair, skin, and nails. And so I've been taking this for three months, again, from a company called Blue Bonnet. It's their hair, skin, and nails formula. I actually gifted this to my mom for Mother's Day too, and she's digging it. So after three months of taking it, Whitney, I have noticed that my hair has gotten thicker, not like psychotically, not crazy, but it's not as thin as it was. So I'm taking two of these a day religiously and have been pretty pleased with the results so far in terms of like the volume and thickness of my hair coming back around my crown. So props to Blue Bonnet. Thanks for the great products. But I feel like it's kind of ironic that we're talking about like, fuck beauty standards. And here's Jason taking a supplement to regrow his hair. I'm not an avatar. I still like my hair. I want it to look good. I'd like to keep it as long as possible. So there's part of me that's like, oh, you're still subjugating yourself to the standards of like masculinity and sexiness and whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I am. I guess I am. I guess I'm not a perfect person because I'm still beholden to ideas of what I think looking good means. And there's still a part of me that feels like having hair makes me better looking than not having hair. And I guess that's a self-judgment that I need because the reality is I might still lose it. Like despite all my efforts of eating clean and eating a highly mineralized diet and using, you know, these great shampoos and taking the biotins, like I still might lose the whole damn thing. So I acknowledge that I'm still attached to having hair, henceforth why I'm doing what I'm doing. Realizing that at some point I could lose all of it and will have to learn to love and accept myself without hair. So that being said, Whitney, do you have a shout out you want to share for this week? Well, first I'll say that I too have taken a variety of different uh, supplements for hair and nails and all that. I actually was sponsored by Country Life last year, at the end of 2020, and they have an awesome line uh, called Maxi Hair. They have, I I don't remember what the other one was called uh, for... Nails is probably called Maxi Nails. I don't remember, but I will link to them too. I really liked 
the formulation of that, but I, I didn't notice a ton of a difference, I will say. So it's interesting to hear you say, I don't, I don't, it might've just been me because I've taken stuff like this before and didn't notice it. Like, I think supplements are fascinating in that sense. You know, like I believe in supplements, but they tend to have subtle effects. Who knows why? I will. So I will link to them as another option for anyone who wants to experiment and look into it. They had a really delicious lavender spray. Oh, yeah. Their whole line is called Maxi Beauty. And the, the lavender spray is a biotin spray, Jason. And it was so delicious to take. I love the taste of lavender. And I think they had one that's a non-lavender flavor. The brand I'm going to shout out, I've already used, and I don't know, I don't think I saved the containers. Usually I do this, as as you'll see in our our, um, videos in the past few weeks. I will save containers even when I finish them, but I don't have it. So what I will put in the show notes at our website, wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com, in addition to linking to anything we've mentioned, including the TikTok videos and the products that we're talking about now. I'll also put some images that I believe I took. I know I took videos. I've been wanting to post the videos as well. I've just been a little slow. So this is actually a line of organic tahini that was phenomenal. Actually, they have a organic, a non-organic, and a non-organic chocolate tahini, which was mind-blowing. I did not realize that tahini would taste good with chocolate in it. I thought that'd be a weird combination, but it actually tasted almost exactly like Nutella. And it's from a company, I believe, pronounced Soom, S-O-O-M. Is that how you would pronounce it, Jason? Soom? Yes, that is how I would pronounce it. And also, that you you gave me a, a small sample of that chocolate tahini. Oh my God. Shockingly good shockingly good really it it is and their plain tahini which is single sourced origin is so good that i'm just craving some thinking about it i might i don't have their tahini right now but i do have another tahini downstairs and i just want to go like make a salad and my favorite way of using tahini is actually in a salad i'll tell you my my favorite salad recipe is just a scoop of tahini mixed with some water until it gets the consistency that I would like. And then I love to add in two things. One is nutritional yeast to give it like a richer, nutty, cheesy flavor. And the other surprise ingredient is olive juice. So the juice that olives or olive brine, I guess it would be like just the water that olives are sitting in in a jar I pour that into my tahini, mix it up, and it gives it a little bit of the olive flavor plus salt. And it's so good. And then I'll chop up some of those olives. And usually I do cucumbers, tomatoes, romaine lettuce, and peppers. Those are tend to be my, my staples. And I almost always have those ingredients in my fridge along with the tahini. And it's one of the most satisfying salads. I've been making that for months and I never get sick of it. I've been making it for years, but like consistently almost every day of the week for a while, I was having that exact salad and then I would toss in things. I was really into um, these plantain croutons that Trader Joe's sells. 
that I was on a kick with those for a while and they, they're flavored with, with garlic, which made them really delicious. And then I swapped over to pumpkin seeds, roasted pumpkin seeds, and I would buy organic raw pumpkin seeds and toast them myself, sprinkle them on. And I'm trying to think other things I've experimented with. I just love making salads, but tahini as the base has been so satisfying for me. And it's wonderful because it's full of calcium, right, Jason, nutritionally. But the Sum Foods is a really wonderful company. They And actually, I have a little card from them, too. I always love it when I, fa- I do, did save the card. And inside it says just it was just a sweet thank you card, which always gives me a good feeling in my heart. So, yes, I'm reading on their website. The tahini typically has a lot of calcium and iron in it. And this one in particular is pressed from the best Ethiopian sesame seeds. And it's got a delicate but deep flavor for a richer, mildly bitter taste with a smooth texture. And that's the last thing I would say about Sum. Not all tahini has a great texture. And theirs is like perfectly creamy and easy to mix up. So that's why if you just take a scoop of it and mix it into water, it's like the perfect consistency. Or if you buy the chocolate version, I would just eat that by the spoonful. You could spread that on top of bread put it on fruit if you want. It's absolutely delicious. Here's my question. Did you make chocolate sesame milk? Because my mind now wants to get some and take like a little bit of water and sweetener and like make a chocolate. I don't know why, but chocolate sesame milk in this moment sounds like the like an ice cold glass of chocolate sesame milk sounds so good. So Sum. Got to get my hands on some, make some chocolate sesame milk. That being said, we are at the conclusion of this episode, dear listener, dear watcher, if you're watching us on YouTube. If you have any ideas on anything we discussed today, ageism, beauty standards, how to liberate ourselves mentally and spiritually from a lot of the boxes and traps and structures that are trying to make us conform you can always email us. It's hello at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Once again, that is our website where you will find our show notes, our resources, our links, anything that is here to support you on your mental health and emotional wellness journey as we like to discover and explore all the many tentacles of that journey here on the podcast. And we have new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with our special guests. And you can also follow up with us on our great posts on social media. We have a great Facebook group. We have an Instagram page. We are active on Twitter. And as I mentioned, our YouTube channel, if you have not seen us and you can see my, my old tank top from 20 years ago and my hair, I don't care about and us being courageous in not presenting. That's one of the, my favorite aspects of this podcast too, Whitney, is we just show up as we are. And I feel like that adds to a lot of the authenticity and spirit. Hopefully you feel the same way, dear listener. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate your support, your listenership, and your shares. And we'll be back with another episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable Soon. Take care. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.